you have your Bibles, please open to Romans chapter 8. If you are visiting this morning or have not been here in a few weeks, let me just quickly tell you where we're at, what we've been talking about. We're on a study, a verse-by-verse, phrase-by-phrase study of Paul's letter to the church at Rome. And we've been working on that for, let's see, 10, 11, 12, about three years and two months. And we've come to the Rome, to the eighth chapter of Romans, to a, a critical verse that talks about a, maybe a fairly unpopular subject, talks about sin, the believer's responsibility there and what the believer needs to be doing. And so what I want to do is we're just going to continue to look at this this morning. Here's the title of the subject that we're on from Romans 8.13. It's the killing of sin within. Just a couple of preparatory comments here. If you have not been here When you place your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, what happens at that moment is that you are placed into Christ by the Spirit. You are placed into Him in a secure position, and the death of Christ becomes your death to sin, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ becomes your new life. But the reality is we still have a mortal body. Though spirit and soul, we are saved and actually seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father, Scripture says. But we have this mortal body that's still connected to this sinful world, and the battle then rages every day. The battle against sin in the life of the believer. And so, Paul, here in Romans chapter 8, verse 13 He speaks about this battle and he gives us a directive on what we need to do regarding this daily battle with sin that we must fight as followers of Christ. Let me read Romans 8.13 and then we'll continue in our exposition of this verse. Paul writes, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The phrase that we are zeroing in on is that that phrase that says, by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body. So two things quickly about that. Clearly Paul is saying there, as we've looked at for several weeks, that it is the spirit that must put to death the deeds of the body, the sinful deeds. That it is only the spirit of God that lives within the believer that can accomplish that. But then secondly, it's very clear from the verse that Paul is calling the believer to something, calling the believer to a work. 
He says that the believer must put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. So the believer has both a responsibility to fulfill and a role to perform in putting to death the sin within. So with that as a kind of a refresher and a reminder, let's jump in this morning to the ongoing exposition of this verse, and I want to begin by doing this. I want to tell you about one great principle, one great principle. Here's the question for this morning. How is it that we as followers of Jesus Christ put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit? What is it that you and I must do to activate the powerful sin-killing work of the Spirit in our lives? Because we're called to do something here. Only the Spirit can kill the sin, but only the Spirit will kill the sin when we do what we have been called to do, instructed by God and His Word to do. So what is it? that we can do that will activate the sin-killing power of the Spirit of God in our lives as followers of Christ. That leads us to the one great principle. Everything that I'm going to say today and next week, I thought that I would finish this series this week, but it's not going to happen. We're going to be on it one more week. But everything I'm going to say today and next Sunday is going to flow out of this one principle right here. The one great principle on how to kill the sin within. And it comes from Galatians chapter 3 verse 5. You have your Bibles turned there. If not, it will be up on the screen. Here's the question to set up the text. What is it that causes the power of the Spirit of God in the believer to be unleashed in such a way that the sin within the believer is killed. Galatians chapter 3, verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So Paul here, in writing to the church at Galatia, he's asking a question. Does God, the God who supplies to you as followers of Christ the Holy Spirit to live within you, how is it that that powerful work of the Spirit takes place? Is it by doing works, by doing good things? Or secondly, is it by hearing with faith? And if you read the rest of the text, the obvious answer is this. Works of the law does not do anything to activate the power of the Spirit. doesn't matter how good you try to be. It's not your goodness, your morality that activates the sin-killing power, the miraculous power of the Spirit in your life. It is hearing with faith that does it. It is hearing with faith that unleashes the miraculous work of the Spirit of God in your life. And I think it is true to the text that we could say that miraculous work of the Spirit includes killing the sin within because it's a miracle that sin is killed within. 
So again, the question is this. If the only way we can put to death the misdeeds of the body, the sin within, if the only way we can do that is by the Spirit of God, and if it is by hearing with faith, Galatians 3, 5, that activates the mighty power of the Spirit of God in our lives, then what we need to do is we need to find out what that means. We need to find out what does it mean by hearing with faith. Hearing what? What is Paul talking about here? What do we need to hear as followers of Christ so that we can believe in it, so that the Spirit of God will take his sword, and kill the sin within that's seeking to defeat us. I kind of gave you a clue right there. You see, we can answer that question by asking this question. What is the weapon the Spirit uses as a killing weapon? Anybody want to venture that? What is the weapon the Spirit of God uses as a killing weapon? What is his sword? It's the Word of God, Ephesians chapter 6. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. What use is a sword in a battle? Well, primarily it's used to kill. And the description in Scripture of itself, is that this right here is the sword of the Holy Spirit. So let's put those together then. What we must do is we must hear the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. We must take the Word of God into our life, into our mind, process it, and believe in it. And when we do that, Then the Spirit of God is taking the sword right here and he's using it to do mighty, miraculous works within us, i.e. to kill the sin within us. That is the only way it happens. That is the way that God has chosen for you to have the powerful sin-killing work of the Spirit within. It is by hearing and believing God's Word, the sword of the Spirit. So that's the how. Now, let me answer the why question. Why question is this. Why does God do it that way? Why does God do it that way? Why by hearing with faith? I mean, why not just by faith? Why by hearing with faith? Why did God set it up that it must be the word of God that we hear, that we read, that comes into us, that the spirit uses to do a powerful work in us? Well, the answer to that question is based upon a teaching that Jesus gave in John chapter 16. John chapter 16, this is right before Jesus was crucified. He's teaching his disciples about the Holy Spirit, about the work of the Holy Spirit and what he's going to do. He's going to send the Holy Spirit and when the Holy Spirit comes, here's what the Holy Spirit is going to do. Jesus is teaching his followers 
this critical truth right before he's crucified. And here's what he says in John 16, 13 and 14. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me. For he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Did you hear the mission that Jesus Christ said was going to characterize the ministry of the Spirit of God? Jesus said, here's what the Spirit of God is coming into the world to do. He's coming to glorify me. If you want to sum up the work of the Holy Spirit in this world in one statement, it's this. The Spirit of God is working on this planet right now to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way that he does that, now we're going to make a connection to what I've been talking about. The way that he does that is that he uses... The word of God, his sword, to be the key that when we believe, we hear and believe in the word, that unleashes his power to do miraculous things in our lives. So how does that bring glory to Jesus Christ? Here's how. You see, Jesus said in John 16, 14, that the Spirit will take from what is His and declare it to us. Let me say that again. Jesus said, here's what the Holy Spirit is going to do in glorifying me. He's going to take from what is mine, Jesus said, and He's going to declare it to you. He's going to declare, He's going to give that truth to you. So what is Jesus's? He's going to take from what is Christ. What is Christ's? First, Second Corinthians one twenty. For all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. Here's what that means. Every single promise in this book right here was bought and paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ when He died on the cross. They are all yes in him and only in him. You don't get any promise of God except that you get it from Jesus Christ, period. They are all found in Christ. Jesus owns them all. And when you are placed into Christ at salvation, what that means is that they're all yours. Because you're in him and they're all his. And so what the Spirit is working at doing is taking these promises that come through Jesus Christ, which is all the promises of God, and declaring them to us. And when we hear them and believe them, then the power of the Spirit of God, and by the way, the power of the Spirit of God is unlimited. He is both omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent all power. So the 
omnipotent power of the Spirit of God is unleashed when we hear the promises of Jesus Christ and believe in them. And all the promises of God are in Jesus Christ. Do you see how that perfectly validates the the continuity of the Word of God? Why did God require it to be this way, that it has to be by hearing with faith that the power of the Spirit is unleashed in our life? Because it has to be a way in which Jesus is glorified because the Spirit is here to glorify Jesus Christ. So it can't just be faith. It has to be hearing with faith. And what is heard is the Word of God. And all the promises of the Word of God are found in Jesus Christ. Therefore, when you hear the word of God, the promises of the word, and you believe in it, Jesus gets the glory when the power of the Spirit is unleashed. So the overall principle of the way that we kill the sin within is that we have got to get this in here. That's the only way. We have got to get this It's not just dots on a white page. It is the actual living, breathing, active word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, that actually comes in to us when we read it and we study it, and it does this powerful work under the hand of the Spirit to actually begin to change us, to begin to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus and less like ourselves and less like the world. It has to be by hearing with faith. That's the way God set it up, and he set it up that way so that Jesus would get the glory for every sin within that's killed. Praise God. He's worthy of the glory. Jesus is worthy of the glory. It should all go to him. He's God who made himself a servant of man and willingly went to the cross and embraced the cross. Listen, it was not Roman soldiers that nailed him there. He set his face like a flint it says in Scripture, to move toward the cross. It was God's plan from all eternity that the Son would come and He would accomplish His own death. And He did it for you and for me, and He deserves the glory for every bit of sin that's killed because the reason He went to the cross and died was so that He could destroy the devil's works, so that He could kill sin. And He did that once eternally for all mankind. And when we put our faith in Him, our sin is eternally taken care of. But He doesn't just stop there. He wants the power to be working from that moment forward until we get to heaven in the daily killing of sin. And so what happens is as we take the promises of Jesus Christ Christ. This is a book about the promises of Jesus Christ. And when we take this book and when we study it and we read it and we seek to in faith believe it and live it out, the Spirit of God's power is unleashed in a sin-killing way within. That's the overall principle that has to be in place or not one sin will be killed within. So that's the one general principle. I have two more, two more points to cover, two more sections to cover before we end this series. I'll take care of one of them this morning and the other one next week. 
The second one category is this, kind of general battle tactics. We've looked at the one overall truth. Now I'm going to talk to you about general battle tactics on how you and I as followers of Christ can kill the sin within by the power of the Spirit. And I want you to see how they're directly related to this first overall principle that I just explained. How they must flow out of that principle. Here's battle tactic number one in our battle against daily sin. What do we need to do to participate with the Spirit to kill the sin within? We need to do this. We need to stand firmly on our spiritual identity. We need to stand firmly on our spiritual identity. Do you know what you need in a battle? Let's just talk about a physical battle for a minute. Let's transport back in time and vision yourself on a, on a battlefield with a coat of armor and a sword. You're in your sandals. There were no Nikes then. So you're in your sandals there. And you're facing an opponent, a deadly opponent. And in order to be effective in your stand against him, do you know what you desperately need? You need good footing. You need a solid traction. Because that's going to give you stability. Ability to both protect yourself and to attack. You need a solid traction for your feet to stand upon. What that is in the spiritual battle against sin is your identity in Jesus Christ if you're a, truly a believer, if you're truly saved. You see, I would go so far as to say this. The depth that you embrace what is true about you, what the Bible says is true about you, if you're a Christian, the depth that you embrace that is going to run exactly parallel to the degree of either your victory or your defeat in the battle against sin. Now, if you have been here for this series, you may have recognized at this point that what I'm talking about right now in one form or another, I've said every Sunday. In fact, it's not just been in the last five weeks of this series. It's been all the way back to Romans chapter 5. That the reality of your Christian life, your success in your Christian life, is going to be so deeply hinged upon this fact right here. That you know who you are and what is yours as a follower of Jesus Christ. Everything is going to be contingent upon that reality. That you know what your spiritual identity is. First of all, let me just show you from a text in Peter, Second Peter, how your Success or failure in the daily battle against sin is going to be directly related to your understanding, your knowledge of who you are in Christ. 
2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 2. Peter wrote, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Stop right there for a moment. You see, after you have accepted Christ as your Savior, received eternal life, here's what you need. You need to continually have the multiplied grace of God in your life. That's what Peter's praying for, the believers that he's writing to. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And in what way does that happen? He says, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. He's connecting this multiplied grace that we so desperately need daily as a believer with our knowledge, our knowledge of God and His Son. Verse 3 and 4. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. You see what Peter just said right there? He ended verse 4 with this great picture of victory, the picture of a person who is escaping from the corruption in the world because of sinful desire. You know what? That's just another way of saying this is a person that's killing the sin within by the power of the Spirit. And he says that the way that that happens is related to knowledge. Verse 3. Knowledge of the precious promises of God. Where are those? They're in the Word of God. They're the sword of the Spirit. So verse 4 ends with this promise, this picture of great victory. And then he begins to describe this believer's life in verses 5 through 8. He talks about him adding to his faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge and to knowledge, kindness. And he goes down this list of character traits that this person is growing in the Lord. But then he gets to verse 9 and he flips the coin. Stick with me here for a minute. He flips the coin and he says, now I'm going to show you someone that is not growing, someone that is not winning the victory, so that someone that is not escaping the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Did you see the connection there? Peter said, This person that is not living the way that they should, this believer that is being defeated instead of living in victory, what's the problem with them? They've forgotten. They're not focused on who they are in Christ. They've forgotten what the mighty grace of God has done in their life, what being united to Christ really means. So as they've forgotten that, then the corresponding weaknesses come so that they're not growing anymore and so that they're not escaping the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Do you see how there is just an intimate, direct connection between what we know is true of us 
and our victory over daily sin. But again, that's the way God set it up. It's the way God set it up. He set it up so that it is his truth that will make you strong, so that it is his truth that will be used in you to kill sin by the mighty, powerful work of the Spirit as you hear it and you believe it. So the first general battle tactic on how you kill the sin within is that you need to continually reflect upon, dig into the Word of God that teaches you what it means to be saved, what it means that you have been united to Christ, what has truly happened in your justification. A radical thing has happened. You've been given an entirely new identity. You didn't just have a little bondo work done on your soul. You're brand new. You have an entirely new existence. Radically different. In fact, and we've been hitting this since Romans chapter 6, but what happens is that when you put your faith in Christ, the Spirit puts you into Christ so that what is true of Christ is true of you. Oh, I wish I could get that settled in my mind and I wish you could. Let me say it again. When you place your faith in Christ and are united to Him, what that means is this. What is true of Christ is true of you specifically. Christ died to sin You died to sin. Christ rose to new life. You rose to new life. That's true of Christ. You're in him. It's now true of you. That means the same thing that it means for Jesus. You see, Jesus was the eternal co-equal with the Father. And what he did is he left heaven by choice to come down to this planet to put on humanity and he subjected himself to the rule and the reign and the realm of sin. That doesn't mean he sinned, but he put himself under the place where sin ruled and reigned unto death. He willingly lived under the dominion, the rule, the reign of sin. And yet he lived here in a perfect life and then he went to the cross and he took your sin and he took my sin, all of the sins of the world, and he satisfied, he absorbed the wrath of God for every one of those sins and then he died to sin. He died to it. That means that he exited this realm where sin ruled and reigns and has dominion. He left it. He's never going to be back in the condition he was for 33 years when he was here. He was not there for an eternity past. He's not going to be there for an eternity future. He was only there for 33 years by choice as he subjected himself to this realm where sin ruled and reigned. And what happens now is that in Christ, what's true of him is true of us so that we no longer 
exist in this realm where sin rules and reigns and has dominion. It's not our master anymore if you're saved. You are delivered from that. You're not a slave anymore. You are free. You don't have to say yes to sin. You can say no to it because of the power of the Spirit of God that is within you. Matter of fact, you should say no to it instead of yes. I should. Because everything has been given so that we can live in victory if we've truly been saved. This battle we still fight in the physical realm with our earthly mortal bodies, that battle is going to continue until we die or until Jesus comes back. But when he does... When Jesus does come back, this mortal body, this perishable body is going to be transformed into into an immortal body, an imperishable body. And I'm going to leave sin behind forever throughout all of eternity. And I'm going to walk in and you are going to walk in and live in the glory of Christ without the remnants of sin anymore. But listen, you don't have to be defeated right now. I don't have to be defeated right now because the reality is spiritually in my soul and in my spirit, I am already seated with Christ in the spiritual realm. And so are you if you're a believer. And what you need to do is focus on that reality. And here's the difference. Listen, Christian, here is the difference. You are either fighting from a position of defeat or you're fighting from a position of victory. And that all depends upon what you see and understand about who you are in Christ. Because if you think that sin is too tough and the enemy's too bad and you've been defeated too many times that you just can't win the day and you're just going to drag around and defeat until Jesus comes back, then you're fighting from a place of defeat and you're going to live in the in defeat. But if you realize the enemy's already lost, he's already been defeated. He's already had his teeth pulled and his talons ripped out. He's a lion, yes, but all he's got is a roar. He cannot hurt you anymore because you have the victory in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ has triumphed over him. He's made a public spectacle of him, triumphing over him in the cross. That's what it says in Colossians. Jesus has triumphed over the enemy and made a public spectacle of him triumphing over him in the cross. And what is true of Jesus is true of you if you put your faith in Christ because the work of the Spirit is that when you put your faith in Christ, he puts you in Christ so that what is Christ is yours. What's true of him is true of you. So how do you fight the battle against indwelling sin day by day? You get up every day and square off against the sin and the battle with sin. And as you do that, you remind yourself, who am I? I'm a child of the king. This battle is already won. I just have to go through the motions until I shed this body. But I am not fighting from a place of defeat. I'm fighting from a place of victory. Matter of fact, All of the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. And that means the very same power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is my power. 
Not something that I arbitrarily do, but the Spirit's power in me. That's at my disposal so that I have everything that I need for the killing of the sin within. To live in any other way is to live ignorant of the truth of who you are. So general battle tactic number one against the sin within is that you need to stand firmly on your spiritual identity, who you are right now. Here's the second point, and I'll close with this. General battle tactic number two. You need to focus on not just your spiritual reality and what is true of you right here. You need to focus on what is going to be true throughout eternity. You need to focus while you're in this world on the hope of the next world. Now, I'll give you a little story of many, many years ago. Don't answer out loud, rhetorical question, but try to answer this question in your own heart. How important is it that we have a focus on heaven? I had a had a lady years and years ago. I was early in the ministry here. Said a believer at this church here. No, I mean has not been here for many many years. But said to me, I was, said something to her about heaven and how I longed for heaven. And she said, be careful that you're not too heavenly minded so that you're no earthly good. Now, I just want to ask you, is that a biblical truth? I want to say to you, it is not a biblical truth. In fact, the word of God encourages us in many places that what we are to be is heavenly minded. That what we are to do is we are to live this life with our eyes focused on the life that is to come. There is a lot of evidence that I could give you there. Just some verses right now that are coming to my mind. Paul says, I forget what is behind and I press on for what is ahead. That I'm straining toward the goal for the high calling of the prize that is mine in Christ Jesus. What was Paul living for and looking at? He was looking at the glory that was to come. He wasn't looking at the here and now. He was looking at the glory that was to come. Jesus Christ, the greatest example. What did he do? Who for the glory set before him? Despise the shame. Set down at the right hand of God. You see, Jesus Christ lived this life with his eyes focused on the future, with his eyes focused heavenward, with his eyes focused on the glory that was to come for him, the glory that he had had for all eternity and was going to have again when he was done with his work here. And the scripture says that we are to do exactly what Jesus did. He's the model. We're to have a heavenly mindset. In fact, Jesus always was looking at the Father because he always did only what he saw the Father doing. 
Let me put it to you this way. Again, what is the question we're dealing with here? It is how to kill the sin within. What is it that we need to do in relationship to the Word of God, hearing and believing the Word of God so that the sin within can be killed by the Spirit? How does this idea of being uh, having a focus on heaven, the glory that is to come, fit into that? Well, what is a sin? What is the issue related to the temptation in sin? It comes with an enticement, doesn't it? It wants to entice you, something that's attractive to draw you in, to have you pursue its enticement. And there are there are a lot of sins that are really enticing. That the package on the outside really is attractive. Hiding the darkness and the perversion within. So how do you defeat the enticement well, one clear way that you defeat the enticement is that you hold it up next to the glory that is to come, the comparison of what the sin is offering and what Christ offers you in the glory that is to come. And then you ask yourself, is it worth it? Is the sin worth me shaming the, my Lord who is offering this to me. You see, it's the beauty of the future and the glory that is in our view in the future that helps us say no to the sin in the present. There's a direct correlation there. And how is it that you know about the beauty and the glory and the greatness and the majesty to come? Where do you find the truth about that? You find it in the word of God. You find it right here. Now, I know that the word of God says this. I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. But you know what the next verse says? And I'm doing this from memory, but it is something pretty close to this. The next verse says, but God has revealed those things to us. It's by the revelation of the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean totally. It's not full revelation of the glory that is to come. As a matter of fact, Paul talked about being taken up and getting a vision of heaven. And here's what he said. I can't even, I can't even talk about it. I can't even tell you. I'm not even allowed to tell you about it. It's so great. So we don't know Totally, neither did he what it is. I know this. Scripture says, if you saw the glory, God's glory right now in the physical body, about the place that you're going to and the glory of God that's going to be visibly present there, it'd kill you just like that. 
your, your physical body could not stand a glimpse of that unveiled glory. It would actually take your life from you. The Word of God says that. So if we keep in mind what is coming in the future, on the other side of this life, it helps us to live today based upon the truth of that day. The, one of the greatest motivational factors is for you to understand the reality of who you are and where you're going. To help you live in this day as if you're living in that day. There's really not another way to do it. You got to have your focus in your eyes set on what is true about you, number one, right now in the today, in the spiritual realm, and number two, what's going to be true about you eternally when you cross from this life to the next. And then you will be through the hearing of that truth and the believing in it, the Spirit of God will take this right here, this Word of God, His sword, and He will use that sword when sin rises up against you to try to dig its claws into you and to try to drag you down and hold you back and keep you ineffective and keep you in defeat. When you hear the Word of God and believe it and see the truth, of what is yours and who you are, then the Spirit of God begins to use that sword to deal death-dealing blows to the sin within. So one overall principle. How is the power of the Spirit of God unleashed in the life of the believer for the killing of sin? It happens by hearing with faith. By hearing the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, and believing on it. And specifically, what are some general things that we can focus on from the word of God so that the sin within can be killed? We can focus on the reality of who we are in Christ. What is ours right now and where we're going so that our earthly step has a heavenly direction. Would you please stand? What we're going to do as we close here,